Hey, this is Mike from Theology and Mission Podcast. Dave and I did this podcast over Zoom, and Dave really wanted the background music, so I played it through my phone into my Zoom microphone, and it made for an overall terrible audio experience. So I had to go in here and edit a lot of things out, and one of those things I removed was the introduction of our guest, Greg Armstrong. He is the director of admissions at Northern and a pastor and church planter of Renew Church in Lombard, Illinois. And he joins us on this episode to talk about a theology of protest. Enjoy. Mike Moore, have you been doing, uh, we've all, we, we now are, what, the day after uh, George Floyd's funeral, yeah. uh, two weeks of, of incredible uh uh, demonstrations all over the country, sometimes mm-hmm. unrest, COVID-19, and uh, uh, here we are. We thought we had to get back on on the air. Yeah. Because I think all of us have been thinking about a lot of stuff, and we'd like to – actually, we're going to do two podcasts today, folks. That's right. So uh, if you like this one, uh, come back next week because we'll have another one for you. Yeah. Uh, but uh, – <laughs> Uh, can I just uh, uh, ask you guys for like three sentences or less uh, how you're feeling, where you're at, Ooh. how your churches are doing? Three sentences or less. See, this is three sentences. Go. Okay. Okay. I got gotcha. you. Um, we're tired, um, confused, and not sure about what to do next. Yeah, and you might just say a little bit about you know the fact that you live and your church is on the border yeah. there. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, so yeah, uh, so I, uh, my wife and I, we live on the border of Little Village, which is ninety percent Latino, Lawndale, ninety percent Black African American, <laughs> and uh, last week was just marked by a lot of uh, Black on Brown gang warfare. So there's been a lot of marches through the neighborhood, a lot of mobilizing. Some of the churches here are doing awesome work and our church is joining up with them. Um, so I think there's some fatigue from that. And then there's also just some fatigue because Lawndale where our church is, is was kind of the epicenter for uh, the riots in Chicago in 1968 and the neighborhood never really recovered from that. Uh, so it just feels like we're kind of reliving that all over again um, with yeah. some of the looting and the rioting um, that the way I would describe it is you can tell that some buildings have been looted and rioted um, around, but, it's kind of hard to tell which ones because a lot of the neighborhood kind of looks like that um, permanently. So <clears throat> I think there's just a lot of discouragement, but also some hope Mike, as we Mike push on. Three, three sentences, dude. Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, I was, I was starting to move into preacher mode. <laughs> okay. And, and, and Greg, Greg Armstrong, tell us where you're at. Your church is at in three sentences. Uh, we're tired. We have conversational fatigue. Um, my black men in my church are upset with my 80% african-american probably a little high um demand and so it's a different pastor in season um appropriating the gospel to the pain yes yeah yes and uh you know we're going through a lot of the similar things uh in westmont that you two are talking about in terms of fatigue in terms of zoom fatigue but also I, i i have a i have a sense of encouragement as well uh uh Two women led uh, a wonderful march through our town called a prayer walk. Uh, a lot of African, we have racial issues in Westmont. Uh, like Lombard, uh, Greg, Westmont is kind of like a middle, lower middle class place. 
And uh, a lot of African-Americans moved from the South side and West side of Chicago to flee violence and, uh, and a whole new uh, set of issues related to racial, well, racism and also racialization in the police force and so forth. So anyways, <clears throat> we had an encouraging time, which maybe we can talk about here yeah. in a moment. So let me, let me, uh, Mike, do you want me to introduce the subject of our podcast? Yeah, for please. Yep. Uh, I thought it'd be good to talk about the theology of a protest or a theology of a demonstration. Um, and, um, yeah. And so I think, uh, not many of us think about the theology and the practice of protest, but if we do, I think it makes a lot of sense for us to actually lead or participate or come alongside, depending on who we are and what what's going on in our town, and do it a certain way. So let me just throw out a few ideas, and uh, I would like to hear from both you dudes. Uh, and, and, and by the way, I'll just start out by saying, for those of you who are watching live, uh, this book, Faithful Presence, has a chapter on being with the least of these and uh, a lot of my ideas come from there so what is a theology of of nonviolent uh, demonstration well first of all i think we need to understand that presence is how god works presence uh presence is this idea that uh god inhabits spatial space between relationships of withness, and he works in those spaces through the Holy Spirit, through the promptings, convictions, the reaching out, uh, the practices of people of faith. And so because presence is how God works, when a demonstration or a march or a walk becomes a space that's peaceful of withness, standing with people or being present and presenting our case, like in the reconciliation passage in Matthew 18, to people, that's a space where God can work. And so um, I use Matthew 25, kind of like the famous passage about uh, the king separating the sheep from the goats and talking about when you were, when you gave that person a cup of water, when you were with that person in the prison, when you clothe the naked, when you, um, you, you know, all those things, I was there. Mm -hmm. I was yeah. there with you. I was in your presence. That text has been a dominant text, especially for the first two, 300 years of Christianity and helping us to understand how we are to be uh, with the least of these. Whenever we are with the least of these, he is there mm -hmm. with us. The least of these is with those who are oppressed, those who are marginalized, those who are poor, those who need a cup of water, those who are sick, those who are ironically ir imprisoned, incarcerated, oppressed, the naked, strangers. And so this is a fundamental practice of the church, going and being with people who are being oppressed. Can you guys, uh, let's, uh, I don't know which one of you wants to talk, but can you talk about the nature of presence and being with people and how that opens up space for the kingdom? 
anybody. Yeah. I'd love to hear Greg's thoughts before I, before yeah, I say, you anything. know, yeah, I, you know, um, I'm with that, with the presence piece and, and the witness, you know, I consider Matthew 18, um, when two or three are gathered in my name, you know, I do understand that every protest isn't seeped in Christ or the movement of uh, Christ's kingdom, but there is something about a togetherness as it relates to protesting and solidarity that I think is powerful. I witnessed it last week in Lombard where it was a, it was a, and I don't know if we're getting into this yet, but I mean, Lombard, Illinois, right. It had a, protest that was put on by a young white girl who I don't suppose is necessarily a Christian. It wasn't a faith leader, uh, but I, but faiths were represented. Of course, us, our church being involved, I believe there was a presence of Christ that was appropriated upon that protest. Um, but there was something, there was something about the presence of God in that moment, at least for me, that showed that he was at work. I'm telling you, I've never fathomed, I, and I got a chance to speak at this protest, and I could not believe uh, the the amount of unity. Now, I don't know where everybody stands, right? We don't know at what you know for what reason everybody was there, but the amount of unity around uh, this this Black Lives Matter, this forward movement of unity and solidarity was just very powerful. And so, some would not attest that to presence as we as we subscribe to, but there was a sense of awe. Right. There were tears. There was conversation. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm crazy enough to believe that even with my other brothers and sisters there who were Muslim and the LGBTQ community, all the, there was something that came amongst us. And I and I believe it was the spirit's work. Um, and, and if I can interject, uh, Greg, uh, I believe that this practice of being with the least of these is not just uh done by christians with christians or are not even done by christians with christians and some friends along the side actually when we go and we be among people who are not christians if we are there to make space to uh be humbly present and and recognize his presence even if his presence is not recognized i believe that's the space jesus is going to work and by the way this is this is in Matthew 25. Jesus says, uh, he tells the uh, the people that he was there when they were doing this, when they were with the naked, when they were with, with the poor, when they were cup of water, when they were in the prisons. And they're going, we don't remember you. When when were you there? I We had no idea. And, and the idea of that uh, acknowledgement is that these people did this out of their everyday life with people. It was so much part of who they were. They didn't know it was anything special. Oh, now we're doing a Christian thing. And that's why I think we need to understand the power of God's presence in Christ when we show up and be present with others uh, in the midst of the pain and the hurt and the marginalization and the oppression. Uh, Greg, you got a comment on that? And then Mike's, Mike looks like he's got some things he wants to say. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah man i i you know being with others i think we all have this sense of you know this whole this whole situation with george floyd as we're a day after his funeral you know i think about the painful losses in my family personally uh 
And it wasn't necessarily the, the preaching or the spiritualization of the moment. It was people being there that, that comforted me and without even words being said. So I do believe that, that being with people who are grieving or hurting, and, and as you're saying, Fitch, who are marginalized and broken, I think there's a powerful insertion of grace because of being present. And I'm really all about that. And I think, um, you know, in a world, and I don't want to get off off on the wrong track here, but in a world of like hyper individualism, where even in our churches, we kind of focus on kind of the me, me, myself and I centered um, theology. uh, We forget the importance of kind of turning to others, right. In moments like these, and that's what I think we've been seeing over the last week as it relates to protests. If we're talking about the theology of protests, I, I see just the the powerful presence of all people coming alongside those who are broken and grieved and saying, hey, we're just here. And I think it's important, um, as we've been having these discussions all week, all of us with all kinds of leaders, uh, you know, presence doesn't always mean talking, right? Presence doesn't always mean I have an answer, I have a word of consolation for you. It's just being it's just being, being in a moment where there is space opened up for God's presence to come in and, mm-hmm. and reconciliation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I'm, I want to, um, if I can, maybe gently agitate the conversation we're having here a little bit uh, or make, j- just like, put something out quit, there. Just agitate. Quit with the gently stuff, will you? I, hey, I, I just want to submit to you some agitation, Dave. I just submit this to you. Um. The way I've been, the way I've been looking at it the last couple of weeks is I, I see like largely two different types of protest. I think there are the peaceful protests that we're talking about, and that happened in Westmont and Lombard and in my neighborhood. There's been a few of those, but I'm wondering where does the rioting and looting that we saw where does that fit in terms of protests? Because, because from my perspective, that's also a form of protest. Um, yeah. And that is, that's a form of protest actually largely by people in particular who identify with being poor specifically. Yeah. You know, so as we're talking about going and being with the poor, the, the way I'm seeing it is, well, the, the poor are protesting and it's taken shape largely by some of the, some of the looting that we've witnessed across the U.S. Yeah, I think uh, white people, white, white people in power especially are, are prone to uh, uh, disregard this. I think this is a big mistake. I think looting, uh, I'm not justifying looting. I'm not justifying violence, but I am saying that when the legitimacy of an authority structure like the police is, is no longer uh, held, it's not relational. It's enforced. Uh, Looting is, can be seen as an expression of the loss of that authority and the loss of that. And you need to read it that way and understand it that way, in my opinion. But my second point before I turn it back to Greg is that presence is a completely opposite, contrary uh, activity. It's It's a metaphysics that's completely opposed to violence. And so, um, Yes, it's an expression and an unfortunate one, and let's understand it. But we as Christians must enter a space and make space for God's peace, power. There's power in presence. So we present, we present, we stand with, in the case of me, a privileged white man, we stand with those 
brothers and sisters who are being oppressed and we stand alongside them to give them uh, any uh, support and leverage of our privilege to make known the illegitimacy of what's going on. And out of that presence, I believe God can work. But God does not work. He chooses not to work through violence. He works through presence. Okay, that was a lot of theology in actually five sentences or less. I throw it back to Greg. <laughs> you know, I you know I don't subscribe to looting, right? I, I can't say I subscribe to looting and, and damage. And those, you know, we were on the south side of Chicago. My in-laws lived there, so it was kind of weird going out there, seeing all the boarded up, you know, um, stores and such. You know, but as I reflected on on looting as 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 it relates to presence, you know, I, I believe it's an exposure of just systematic suppression. You know, I think it's an exposure. I think, yeah. you know, when I, when I saw the looting happening in Chicago, I almost saw it like a bottle being, you know, champagne bottle being popped. Like, you know, there's so much pressure that is not dealt with, that is not unveiled, that is not given attention to, that in a moment of pain, in a moment of, um, a moment of torment, which is what the black community has been dealing with, um, there was just an explosion and 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 might I, might I say that the black community wasn't mainly responsible for looting. I want to say that, but in the communities that in the communities that I witnessed, in some of the black communities, you know, there is this there's this unveiling of a deeper sense of peril mm. in our cities that I I believe is expressed by looting. And and you know all the all the critics that say, hey, this is not the way to do it. This is not the way to express yourself. This is not the way. Well, none of these individuals live in this context and don't yep. even deal with any of the everyday everyday issues that these individuals these people, a lot of these people, you know, they they're extremely ostracized financially. They have no opportunities in terms of employment. A lot of them um the mentality is as actually generations deep Right. And so when, when I'm looking at when I'm when I'm lamenting over the pain that we see, I'm actually seeing some young people who are looting, but they're actually living out generations of pain. They're looting as their grandfather, they're looting as their great grandfather and don't know how to express it because of the suppression of the system. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. So, yeah. And, and uh, that, that kind of. Uh, yeah. So anyways, agreed that. Uh, I mean, I, I see that in, in in a theological way too, because um, there is. Uh, I was just thinking today about how there's two kinds of authority in the world. There's enforced authority, and there's relational authority. And often, authority, even in the church, is this kind of authority by the fact that I am a senior pastor. I have I hold the office. And you better listen to me. Hmm. And that that only works as long as the underlying ethos maintains. Right. But once it goes, it goes, and nothing can get it back. Likewise, police, if they inhabit their office as a coercive authority, and there's no relational credibility, and it's continually abused, they lose it. And so all hell breaks loose. Right, right. Uh, that was my point. But I think your point is that the expression of it, even though you're not condoning it, Greg, the expression of it is legit. It expresses something very real going on for not just this moment, but for hundreds of years. Yeah. Well, and I think culturally, we actually have condoned looting and rioting in other contexts. The example I was thinking of is five plus years ago, 
the Arab Spring over in Egypt. There was rioting, there was looting, there was the overthrow of a dictator. And in the West, democracy is celebrating this because these people were oppressed. Because it was really easy for us to see what the injustice was, what the uh, evil was that was bearing down on people. But for a lot of us in America, we don't see, we don't see the evil. Um, we don't perceive the injustice. Um, and I'm not saying we should condone it, but uh, we, we're not able to explain or understand why they're reacting in such a way because we've been so blind to the injustice that's been suffered upon these people for so long. Yeah, yeah, I agree, man. And I, and I think that when we look at when we look in the when we look at American society and these underserved communities that are looking at, uh, let's say, police, there's no relationship, you know, between law enforcement and the underserved communities. It's it's a as you mentioned as you mentioned, Fitch, it's more of an an authoritative relationship. Of course, that goes back decades as it relates to black people in particular. I mean, I mean, you know, we grow up with a with a theology of policing that is much hmm. different than many others, right? And hmm. I mean, honestly, to this day, you know, I think about all the all as a little boy, all of the conversations my dad had with me specifically about police. I I can tell you, everywhere in the western suburbs and in the west west side of Chicago, every spot that was always a hot spot for some sort of interaction with police, and my dad trained me. And I tell my wife today, oh, yeah, let me slow down here because, you know, in this area of hillside or this area of, you know, they'll always get you. And it was just and so there, there's this trauma that comes with law enforcement as it relates to our cities. And I don't see why people find it surprising. And it's really irritating me that people are like fighting against that reality as if they've lived it. But um, while we find it, find it surprising that in a moment of openness, right, where people have not felt presence, Fitz, mm. where they have not entered into spaces of presence, where we have not had law enforcement, local city officials come and be present in these communities. I, I find it crazy that we don't see the response the way it was, which yeah. is there's an open door for me to, to be free of any kind of uh, recompense, right? Any kind of retaliation. And I'm going to take it because this is the only moment of freedom mm. that I have before before we get back to the norm, which is heavy policing on minority communities and uh, underserved uh, cities. Hmm. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay, here's another thing I'd like to talk about in terms of theology of, of demonstration. Um, I think a lot of us, uh, especially us white males, uh, think that we can go solve the problems of the world. Uh, I think Christians, white Christians in general, and this may not just be us, but I know it's us because at least us, uh, we got to go do something. We got to go try and solve people's problems. We have a history of making people into our projects. And the idea of going and being present allowing God's presence to work. The idea of going and being with somebody is the opposite of that. It's actually, we're going to go be with, we're going to, we're going to lament. We're going to repent. Um, we, as opposed to doing something for somebody, we're going to go be with somebody, listen to somebody, uh, and allow God to do 
what he's going to do. Presence is how God works. I think uh, at our walk, we had two women lead, along with uh, our friend Mike Abron, who's a black man, black pastor in Westmont. You, I think you two know him. And actually, he, he was at uh, Northern Seminary's Chapel one, one time, I think last year. Anyways, uh, and I thought, oh, you know, great that we didn't see any white guys up there. Uh, white guys tend to bring not only privilege, but patriarchy, hierarchy, taking charge, blah, 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 blah. Please don't think I'm just throwing all white guys under the bus here. I'm just trying to, like, state an issue or a problem. And um, I think that el- that is such an important fostering element of what it means to go be with somebody. Uh, and And... Could you two guys speak on that? Does that make any sense to you two guys? Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I can see that. I'm not a white guy, so I can't fully um, affirm that within myself. But, you know, I'm thinking about the responses I've gotten from a lot of my white pastor friends or just white friends, period, over the last week or two, which is, what do, you, what do I need to do? You know, what, where, where, where do I start? What do I do? Um, I don't think there is a theology of a lament across the broader, you know, across the broader spectrum of, uh, I guess I'll say white evangelicalism, but I, I don't mean that politically, but I think, I think, you know, a practice of lament and, you know, John Kelly was talking about this last night at, at the round table we did a practice of lament is something that's not, infused into the culture of most most of my white evangelical friends it is a a performance-based what can i do based kind of problem-solving situation in return though i think i think in a situation like this the pain that my congregation is experiencing i'm not sure we know what we want right Mm. and that's why i would want that's why i would subscribe to the practice of presence because there does need to be this space of discerning because we don't know because we said, we said, we said, all right, we need, we need white people to speak up. So my white friends spoke up and they got dragged and we're like, no, you're talking too much. We just need you to be quiet and listen to us. And then, you know, so it's just kind of like, and I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying that as a critique to the black voice. I'm saying that as a critique to both parties. We don't know. We don't, we don't know what we need as black community. We're just upset. Give us space to grieve this. Um, but at the same time, I do think we need a leadership of the Holy Spirit in the proper dialogue, which, by the way, I kind of hate dialogue and conversation now. But, it, <laughs> but we need a proper leading of the Holy Spirit in practical and spirit-led solutions to what's next, right? And so I, I could get with that. I could get with that, Fitch, uh, that there, there's this leading piece. But I, I think I think the black community needs to needs to also know what we we need, mm. right? Um, what we need, because I don't know if we all the way fully know why. Because just like a a hurt and abused individual, sometimes I just need to sit with this for a minute mm. before I can properly process. 
You know, I mean, people people come up in abusive relationships and go to years of therapy. We come out of 400 years of slavery, Jim Crow reconstruction, and we think that a conversation on a panel is going to like just change the world. Yeah. And yeah. I just think we need I think we need a time to be with. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. So so the, so, the, uh, so I might like um, I might recommend to pastors who are sitting somewhere in their church right now thinking about what do we do i, I might i might just say okay well, first of all can we can we train ourselves and each other and people who are interested in the subject on the way god works through his presence i think the worst thing we can do and now i'm talking about we the white church especially the history of the failure of the white church behind us or current. I think the worst thing we can do is, okay, we got to go out and do something. We got to go out and solve this problem. Uh, the problem that we have been part of making into a problem, maybe we are the problem. So if we can kind of train our people into how God wants to work and be okay with the practice of being with the poor. And if we're not going to just do this once, we're going to make friends. We're going to go and be on other people's turf in our neighborhood. Uh, Mike Moore, you're, you're the other white guy in the room right now. What would you say uh, to pastors wondering what the, from, from a white perspective, what the yeah. heck are we going to do now? Yeah, well, I'm, trying to figure that out kind of build it in the plan as I fly it. Um, it's, it's been interesting the last two weeks at our church. I've, I've preached the last two weeks. So this is a predominantly black church. We, my co-pastor is black, but just the way it worked out, I was on the schedule to preach and he was okay with me preaching. Um, so the, the one thing I've tried to be really intentional about doing is um, I don't think I've ever cited so many sources or so many quotes from black women, men, theologians um, ever in a sermon. And, and the point I'm trying to make is I'm trying to constantly point away from myself to say, this is not an original thought. This is not an original idea. I've been trying to s sit at people's feet. I'm trying to learn. Um, if there's something good here, it's because I've learned it from somebody who's gone ahead of me and who's taught me um, because I think as a, as a white male, especially preaching, especially in a black church, there's, there's a possibility I could be really paternalistic and say, you know, look how woke I am. Let me show you my uh, resume of wokeness and, you know, build up my credibility. And, you know, that's worse than paternalism. That's narcissism, isn't it? <laughs> I think it's narcissism <laughs> and paternalism. You're right. <laughs> so, so, so what I'm trying to do is I'm constantly trying to resource myself, but also say, you know, this is what James Cone says. Here's what Willie Jennings says, you know, constantly point to um, other people who thought through this more than I have and just said, Hey, I, I'm the messenger. I'm delivering the message. I'm trying to be the vessel. I'm here cause I'm in, I'm in a relationship with you and I'll just, you know, submit this and lay it at your feet. That's what I'm trying to do as I preach. Trying. Excellent. Excellent. Okay. Uh, I got one more thing to say because I think we've gone a little too long here. So I'm just going to throw this out. Uh, presence is, is not, is sometimes silent. doesn't say anything. 
but it is not silence. It is physical presence mm. with our bodies. Yeah. It's presence says, I see you. I am here. I am with you. I stand with the oppressed, the victims. I stand between the oppressor. If I'm, if I'm a white person of privilege, I stand between the oppressor and the oppressed, the abuser and the abused presence. And out of this presence, amazing things can happen. Like, for instance, a little boy, uh, I, I was on the other side. of I was like about 50 people away. But he says, <laughs> he, uh, uh, the woman leading asked, uh, any questions? And he raises his hand and says, are we going to get mugged by some bad policemen today? Are, is there going to be bad policemen? And, and oh, so this is a little boy. And the policeman hears this. He kind of responded in maybe a paternalistic way. But, you know, he, he knelt down and he was with him. And out of the, and he's, and he pointed to his badge and said, you can trust me or something. Well, okay, I, I wasn't totally happy with the, the whole thing. But the point is space was opened up and many good conversations happened, not only between policemen, African-Americans and us, but, and, and we're going to have another meeting in a month, same time, same station. So uh, space can be opened up. But uh, final comments from you two guys on presence says, I see you, I am here. Um, I am with you. Kind of final comments. Yeah. So presence, I am with you. I see you. I think that's powerful. I've witnessed the presence of protest, you know, this last week. Um, I personally um, really have been comforted by the multi-ethnic presence of protest. I know black brothers and white brothers, I mean, everybody's been protesting on their own, but I really appreciate that. I think from there, I think if you've seen and you've felt and you've considered and you've been with that, we don't simply just kind of leave it open for the Lord to take it, but we leave it open for the Lord to instruct us on where to take it. So my white mm -hmm. brothers and sisters, what influence do you have with your privilege to see transformation in whatever city we're protesting in. I think that's the next step. Who do I know? Where do I go? I've protested. I've marched. I've been with the oppressed. But now there is a pipeline that I may have to the oppressor um, and where I can use my privilege to see transformation for the people that have been oppressed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say uh, I keep th thinking back to that phrase that's quoted a lot, especially in some circles that we run in um, that long obedience in the same direction that if, if there is a call for presence, it's, it has to be long-term. Greg made this point earlier, but it's not, it's not going to be just one March. It's not going to be just one gathering with a couple different leaders. It has to be long-term relationships, like decades long relationships between churches, between people, between neighbors, open up space to enter those relationships and see what the Lord does in them. Hey guys, this has been rich. It's been uh, fun. Well, it's been rich and it's been, <laughs> it can be no, fun too. <clears throat> it's been really fun lately, but um, anyways, thanks everybody out there for listening to theology on mission podcast, the place where theology meets the uh, issues of our culture. And uh, 
Uh, we invite you to give us a review on uh, Apple Tunes or wherever you listen to this podcast, especially if you want to make a comment about the fact that uh, Moore hasn't had a haircut in about six months. Uh, it's been and, a long time. <laughs> and, it, and it hasn't made one lick of difference, folks. Uh, we hope to see you back uh, again uh, next time. Uh, we're going to try to keep this going during the summer. But until then, it's over and out. It's Mike Moore and Greg Armstrong. See you next time.